Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. Her name is Charlotte Dennett. We spoke last month about a book she just published in February 2022. Title of that book is Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. But today we're going to talk about a book, very long book, over a thousand pages. I got about a third to the uh, half of the way through it. So we're going to probably break this up into two discussions. Title of the book is Thy Will Be Done, The Conquest of the Amazon, Nelson Rockefeller and Evangelism in the Age of Oil. And she co-wrote it with her husband, Gerard Colby, who unfortunately couldn't be here. There's a newer version that just came out, but it was originally published in 1995. And there's also an audio book. It has excellent reviews. And she uses this kind of older term for native populations, Indian, throughout the book. And I think that was the nomenclature of the time of Nelson Rockefeller. So I think the more common parlance is acceptable parlance is Native American or, or indigenous. And so they talk a lot about indigenous. But I think at that time, they still had that older kind of colonial term for the natives, Indian. And so uh, so this is a very detailed book. I enjoyed re reading what I did read. But Charlotte, welcome back to the show. And I uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, sure thing. Glad to be with you. So I've for people who did interviews. Good. So thank you. At least so you for people who I tried. I mean, I tried to get through. I was very amb over ambitious as usual, but it, from what I read, you take your time going through the very background of Nelson Rockefeller from the very pre-war beginning. Can you kind of talk about your research and how you got started with this project? Sure. Uh Let's see, we, we started on this in uh, the, the mid-70s. I had just met Jerry. I, I was like a refugee from the uh, Lebanese Civil War, and I uh, decided to uh, uh, go to New York and stay there for a while to wait out the war, which ended up 15, 15 years. So meanwhile, um, I did some stuff on the UN beat, and I met Jerry who was also a freelance journalist. And he had uh, just had a, an interview with two interesting journalists. Uh, one of them was, um, let's see, one of them was from Spain. I think they were both from Spain, if I recall. Anyway, they had been uh, in the Amazon on, on sort of a trip with their partners, a fun trip. And one day, while they were on the Amazon River, uh, this plane came out from nowhere, and it was just a little prop plane, uh, and it landed on some grassy area in the Amazon, and out stepped this guy that looked like an American with a suit on. And so the, the journalists were totally surprised by this, and they said, what are you doing here? And so did the man in the suit say, what are you doing here? Well, as it turns out, uh, this man was with the Summer Institute of Linguistics, which is a very sophisticated missionary organization. Its, um, its home title is the Wycliffe Bible Translators. But for purposes of penetrating Latin America, they use the secular name. And they actually were, were teaching these, we found out, uh, teaching indigenous people how to read and write in their own native language, and then that would make it easier for them to learn Spanish or Portuguese, as it turned out. So, um, but they were under a lot of suspicion. So that's how our story began, uh, because the indigenous people at the time were suffering from genocidal attacks on them. Uh, in the mid-1960s to the mid-1970s, about 100,000 indigenous uh tribes had had been killed 100,000 people had been killed and there was a lot of speculation that this missionary organization had some connection with the CIA because they uh, they had advanced radio communications equipment they had a team of of airplanes uh short takeoff and landing airplanes the type that had been used in Vietnam 
And uh, the, the missionaries were able to penetrate far into the Amazon where even the nationals couldn't go. So that made the nationals, and I'm, I mean both planners, economists, and also anthropologists, had them very concerned. And they really suspected that they were, that they were supported by the CIA. So if you connect genocide CIA, uh, then it behooved us as American journalists to look further into this. Was this really true? And what was really going on in the Amazon? So uh, Jerry had broached the idea to me. Uh, he, he, hey, Charlotte, we sorry to interrupt, just, but let's turn, off the, uh, let's turn off the video. It'll help with the connection. So I'm going to stop my cam. Can you hit stop cam on the bottom of your StreamYard? website there should be a stop cam button <clears throat> she's still there charlotte can you hear me I think. Okay. Can you Charlotte, hear me can now? you stop the cam? Yeah, yeah, I can. Can you stop cam? Yeah. Hit the stop cam button on the bottom. It'll help with the connection. How do... You just take your mouse oh, and go okay. to the bottom. It says mute, stop cam. Settings. There, I got there you go. Perfect. I got it. Perfect. Okay. Oh, so, so I, just I heard that you. Whole spiel. <laughs> yeah, so I lost you at it behooved you to, as American journalists to look into this whole story about oh, well, the that's planes good. and the pseudocon. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that's how it started. And I said, I, I did say that we went down there with the two other journalists and then they, uh, they back, backed out and we continued. So we did a huge trip. Uh, it started in Mexico and uh, we continued on. We went to Ecuador, Peru, uh, Brazil, and Colombia, uh, all of which ha have portions of their territory in the Amazon. And to make a long story short, I mean, we were down there for a year, practically, and uh, then we figured out that we didn't really know who was who was uh, funding the missionaries, and so then we then we came back and did a trip through the south because the missionaries were claiming they were just funded by their local churches, um, and finally uh, we had a tip from our literary agent that uh, an individual who had been a former ambassador to Brazil, uh, his papers had been declassified in the FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt Library uh, in Hyde Park. And uh, because our literary agent was saying, look, uh, you got to show who's really behind it. What powerful Americans might have been involved? So we got into the papers of Adolph Burley, this former uh, ambassador, uh, who we discovered while getting through the papers is he was very close to Nelson Rockefeller. And the more we looked into his paper, we suddenly discovered that Nelson Rockefeller, who is best known as being the governor of New York and be probably even better known for how he died uh, in the arms of his mistress, um, he, he was building this empire in Latin America and it began when he was appointed by FDR uh, to be the coordinator of inter-American affairs. And so then we got into those papers and, and discovered that Nelson Rockefeller had a quote unquote shining dream for the development of the Amazon. Now his being a, an oil czar, uh, you can be sure that he was interested in exploring for oil in the Amazon and there was oil in the Amazon, but also other resources, uh, you know, setting up agribusiness and giant ranches. So um, anyway, the the plunder of the Amazon uh, began after World War II, uh, and it ripped. But but there was some resistance. Uh, in 1945, the president of Brazil, Vargas was trying to um, put conditions on American uh, investment in the Amazon, and he was overthrown uh, in a coup. And then uh, in 1964, President Goulart, uh, who was also trying to be protective of the Amazon, he too 
was overthrown in a in a coup and we were able to ultimately find out that the one of the main people responsible was Colonel J.C. King, who was charged of uh, clandestine operations in, in the Western Hemisphere. He, he was one of the main principals involved in that. So then we were able to link uh, all these development programs to what the uh, missionaries were doing. And what it really boils down to is um, they wanted to uh, invest, and that means invade, frankly, in, but invest in the Amazon. And they were concerned is that, that there would be resistance from indigenous people, namely bow and arrows, just like the concerns over the, over the conquests of the West. And what we learned is that some of the same tried and true tactics had been used, namely uh, if, uh, if pacifying the Indians through missionaries, and I can get into that more, uh, if that didn't work, if, if indigenous tribes were still resisting, they would have to resort to uh, more uh, serious military uh, methods. They, they would send in uh, paramilitary troops. And uh, it, the, it ranged from uh, leaving arsenic in laced arsenic candy on the river basin, uh, smallpox laced in blankets, they wanted to kill the Indians so there would be no resistance. So this is a very, very tragic story. A lot of it mimics the same techniques that were used uh, in the conquest of the West. And um, we took years in documenting it, but in the process we uncovered this huge empire built by one of the richest oil families in the world. And, and as I often love to say, once you climb to the top of the mountain, you look down and the view is spectacular. And what we found out is all these different groups, they could be government groups, they could be the Peace Corps, they could be anthropologists or missionaries. One way or the other, they were all being used by the very powerful in order to extract not only information, which is critical, uh, but also the resources of the people down there. And it's happening again, all over again. We right. had wanted so, our book to make a difference, but at any rate, yes. And your book was kind of, I mean, would you say suppressed or kind of uh, ignored? Would, would you agree with that? Our book, uh, yes. it was, yeah, it was published by HarperCollins. And uh, we had a wonderful editor, Hugh Van Dusen. He was extremely supportive of our book. He said it, it was the best book he'd ever been the editor of, uh, but he uh, he was sort of on his way out at the time. He was retiring, and um, we we went through uh, the hardcover, and then to put out a a paperback, uh, we we had to get Hugh Van Dusen to say, "Look, get me five thousand copies ordered, and and it'll come out in paper book back." So we got some funding for that, but then the funding ran out. And uh, I remember calling into HarperCollins at one point uh, to find out what was happening to them uh, because the book was suddenly uh, listed as out of stock indefinitely. And I called HarperCollins. I said, what's going on here? And um, they said, no, I think I posed as a, as a reader. I wanted to get a copy of the book. And the answer was, this book will never be reprinted and, wow. and was hung up on. And that's what happened. So the the book, uh, although it had great reviews, was suppressed. And that seems to be uh, the story of our lives. You, you know, you want to write the truth? Well, good luck, because you're only going to get so far. Jerry had also written a mammoth book on the DuPont family, and that book had been suppressed by the DuPonts, namely published, but then later killed. There's even a, a word for it. And... Um, that's privishing. To, to, I found this out by going around to uh, different different publishing houses and saying and asking, "What happened to your books that expose corporations or government coups or so on?" I finally found an editor who told me it's well known in the industry. It's called privishing to privately publish a book so it sinks without a trace. And what that means is, uh, they, they'll they'll go through the motions. They'll print the book. 
but then they won't promote it. They'll they'll cut all of the support mechanisms, the promotion, the new the uh, the second um, paperback edition, the author's tours, all cut. So the book dies. Right. It's so like a form of control, right, Charlotte? It's a form yeah, totally. of instead of making you go to another publisher, they take it in and then suppress it. And then yeah, they kill the book. And um, <clears throat> so what happened then is our book got rescued uh, by an online publisher called Open Road Media. And thanks to a, a NYU professor called Mark Crispin Miller, who was a fan of our book, he was able to get it republished as an ebook. Uh, and we updated that was in 2017. And it's part of a series called The Forbidden Bookshelf. And if you Google that, you will find a whole bunch of books that have been suppressed. And uh, there you go. And you can see it right there. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see at the bottom of the picture of Thy Will Be Done. This is the newer version of the cover. Yes. It says Forbidden Bookshelf, series edited by Mark Christian. Exactly. Miller. He invited me to come out to New York uh, to discuss one of my other books, too. So he, I have a bit of a connection to him. Oh, but that's great. Yeah, yeah, he does great work. Yeah. Um, so... You had this, this say that word again. Publishized? What was it? No, it's called privishing. Privishing. P thank you. P R Y V I S H. Privishing. I N G. Never heard yeah. that word before. Yeah. Well, uh, all authors should be should be attuned to it because it's still going on. <laughs> well, that's kind of one of the reasons why I self-published all my books. That people think it's like an option to, you know, it's the publishing houses are the ideal place to publish your books. But in my case, I, I felt like I would lose control. So I, I really went a different route because I'd heard of other stories of like non-promotion or changes or mandating certain stuff. So people really do have to watch out out there, but you've done tons of research. I mean, this is a really a masterwork. It's a thousand pages of footnoted material on really one of the sons of the, probably one of the richest families at a certain point was the richest family in the world at one time. He's the grandson of John Rockefeller. The, the first, right? The yeah. Of yeah. So he was, he was one of the four brothers that uh, actually were the son of John D Rockefeller jr. Yeah. And um, so yeah, it's just totally, it was totally absorbing, very fascinating. It took us forever. I mean, it was, we finally finished it after 18 years of research and writing of, wh of which Jerry was the, the main author. Um, but I, I helped a great deal, uh, mostly in, in the research and the editing. And then by doing this, of course, I discovered, um, how to look at the world from their vantage point at a very high level. And, and our book, Thy Will Be Done has been called a methodology of conquest. Once you understand how conquest happens in Latin America, I, I learned, you can apply that to other parts of the world. And since I had been a, a journalist in the, in the Middle East, I applied my lessons to the Middle East. One of the big lessons was maps. Uh, Thy will be done is full of maps. And, and they show the coordinates for, like, for instance, where the missionaries are located and where the big resources are, because these powerful people are counting on the missionaries to uh, pacify the indigenous people. And they do it through the Bible and through religion. Uh, it's very sophisticated. And thy when we did our update to our dismay, we found out that the Summer Institute of Linguistics is now all over the world. It's, it's very heavily involved in Africa, not so much the Middle East, because they don't, the Muslims do not convert e easily, but throughout much of the world, uh, this, this missionary uh, organization is doing the pacification work required so that big corporate entities can move in on their lands. Right. And can you explain, I mean, you go back in the very early, this one character, his name is William Cameron Townsend and, and some of these missions, can you talk about their earlier ideas, fundamentalism versus maybe uh, the Rockefeller outlook that really was the outlook that drove them for decades? Can you talk about that? Well, well, 
William Cameron Townsend, the founder of the Wycliffe Bible Translators, alias Summer Institute of Linguistics, was a Bible salesman in Guatemala as a young man. And uh, that's how he, he got to know indigenous people, their cultures, to a certain degree. But um, he, he wanted to build his organization. And he, he realized that in order to penetrate Latin America, um, he would have to minimize the, the Protestant connection and the proselytizing connection because Latin America is mostly Catholic. And he, he, he knew that if he was ever going to uh, reach 2,000 tongues, that was their motto, 2,000 tongues to go. And, and, and that was like, if we can reach indigenous people uh, who have 2,000 languages, in fact, there have been many more that have been discovered, then we will bring them to Christ and uh, they'll be better for it. And of course, uh, corporate America will be better for it, but that would not be advertised. And, and, and so he developed this and, and he relied on linguists. Uh, one of them was out of the Rockefeller Network and um, so he learned a very scientific way of doing this, which was um, go into the tribes, get to know their language, use linguists to do it. And that way you'll be doing a good deed. Namely, you'll teach them literacy. And uh, now why was this able to go over in, with governments in Latin America? The reason was they all wanted to develop the interior and, and they knew they didn't have the mechanism to do it. And so by relying on the missionaries, um, that seemed to do the trick. Namely, they come in, they, they, they do their nice work, nice work in uh, developing na native language through the use of linguistics. But how they did it is that, is that they translated the New Testament. So there was an underlying uh, proselytizing aim in this in this mission, uh, but the uh, the the leaders of the governments, respective governments, uh, were willing to turn a blind blind eye to that. And by the way, many of these governments were beholden to Nelson Rockefeller uh, because he had gone down there during World War II and he had met all sorts of people, mostly military and government officials. And so um, this was just one aspect of, of conquest. Uh, Nelson Rockefeller was very influential in, in developing pro propaganda tools during World War II that was aimed at the Germans and getting them out. Uh, and he was successful. So anyway, we've got all these maps showing uh, and charts showing the Rockefeller influence, which is just huge. And I, I would maintain still has not been um, sufficiently explored. Um, but at any rate. But I think it's important because a lot of people wouldn't even know about Nelson's influence in that area and how tied he was to it. He had investments all over the place. He had investments in Venezuela, Colombia, um, interest in many different uh, places. And Brazil, and Brazil. And Brazil. Right. Yeah. And, and you show, and your maps are very important. They show what people thought of Brazil. It was the size of the U.S., untapped re, uh, resources, oil. So they were, you know, looking at it to make a lot of money out of that, if possible. But um, it also was interesting because where they're looking at it from economic perspective, people like uh, Townsend are looking at it for spiritual, and they have a map. And Townsend is an inter internationalist. Would you agree with that? I mean, he he's trying to evangelize all over the world: Philippines, Guatemala, Mexico, Peru, and he knows all those, uh, the whatever the current leader of those nations were, right? Or yes, yes. I mean, um, you know, they have they have a base in 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 North Carolina, uh, and uh, all it shows is, is, you know, the the wonderful William Cameron Townsend, what he did for the organization and how he advanced mi missionary endeavors. And, and the emphasis was never on conquest. That was always hidden. It was more like 
this is what we've done. We've saved the souls of so many indigenous people. The, the, the missionaries themselves, you know, the ones that are in the field, uh, a lot of them are well-meaning people and they are ignorant uh, or, or at least they were in the time we went down there because we stayed, we stayed at some of their bases. Uh, but the boys on top, the top leaders, they know damn well what's going on. And, and yeah, William Cameron Townsend had to cut deals with, with very powerful people to, to get his way. And they, of course, were very happy to do it because his organization was useful to them. Right. I, I have a... There's a terrific map. Well, I'm bragging, but <laughs> there's this one map that I can't get over. Uh, it's on page, let's see, five, oh, 503. Which, and it's which a map. chapter is it? Yeah. Uh, which chapter yes, is yes. it? Uh, chapter it. 32, Poisons poisons of the Amazon, chapter 32. Okay. And, and there's a, a picture there. Uh, it's, it's the map of Brazil, which shows you how huge it is. And it's got shaded areas that show hostile tribes. SIL, this is one thing SIL did. It did a whole survey uh, of hostile tribes in Brazil. Now, who do you think that was serving? Anyway. Um, Let me see and, if I can pull that up. I'm going to put it up on the screen right now. Oh, oh that'd be great. Here you go. There it is. It's up. Okay. Oh, beautiful. There it is. Yep. Well, good for you. Well, anyway, and, and then you see the key there. All those shaded areas are, are investments uh, by corporations, and we name them. Um, a lot of them are Brazilian-named uh, corporations, but um, they will have a heavy investment by Rockefeller interests. Uh, there's, there's Hannah Steele, for instance, that's heavily involved, U.S. Steel. Uh, Kaiser Aluminum, um, DK Ludwig was looking after bauxite, uh, but then there's there's also the the interest in oil. There's um, let's see what is there here. There's a cattle ranch. Um, the oil companies in this particular map are not so identified. Uh, but it was known there was a lot of oil in there. That was Nelson's shining dream. And, and then what you see is uh, oil shale. Yeah, we, we do notice oil shale. That's in the southern part. You can see uh, right down in the southern right, right. corner. Wait a minute. i got to turn right. this off. Close to Sao Paulo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't answer this now, so I'm going to have to just say no. Um, and... Uh, so, so they did this report, hostile tribes. So here are the missionaries identifying who's hostile, who's not, who's amenable to being uh, pacified, and so on. And uh, I say, and this happened. They did this. Uh, they did this survey and published in 1966. This is right after the coup in 1964 that overthrew President. Oh Lord, I'm sorry. And these, it's okay. And these coups were specific uh, there were definite policy changes after each one of these coups yeah the 45 well, after, coup and the 64 coup. Right? after 64 uh, somebody's really trying let me just hello yeah but i can't talk now can you call me back in an hour i'm in an interview thank you Whew. all right yeah what were you saying i was just saying that these over these over it's specifically brazil we're not talking about other countries but yeah. these were sophisticated overthrows with new policies once these these people were overthrown, right? Yeah, no, Progress yeah. I mean, you see it over and over again. But in the case of Brazil, uh, yeah, it, it's clearly there's no question that the CIA was involved in overthrowing uh, the president Goulart of Brazil. And what happened right afterwards? There goes Summer Institute of Linguistics showing maps and hostile tribes and then the big corporations start moving in um right. i say say here um and there's one interesting thing when vargas died he made a statement that he killed himself after he realized he was on the outs but he yeah. said something pretty profound to his countrymen i've been fighting against international forces this whole time i wish you well you know it's oh, a very yeah. very profound statement maybe i can find it on there well that 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 is true and the brilliant, I mean, the Brazilians know it. It's just that 
you know, right, right now you've got Bolsonaro and he is, he is just setting back everything that was accomplished, namely protection, whole areas, protection of indigenous areas. And he, he, he's just marauding the Amazon as we speak. And of course, they're, they're, they're very, very brave people. Uh, the, the greatest brave people are the indigenous environmentalists who are fighting back to this day. But many of their leaders have been killed. And, and, and that was one thing that really impressed us when we were down there. We were sort of down there in the age of the dictators. And, and we were very careful, for instance, we did not announce our presence to the American embassy because we, we figured we'd be tracked and followed if we do, did that. So we went in uh, as tourists and then we, we went to all these different countries and, and found very similar stories, very, very tragic stories. So as I said, our hope was that we were going to have a major uh, UN uh, session on genocide of indigenous people and it never happened. So too bad. Um, and it still hasn't happened. And right now, by the way, this is a timely interview because right now you're having the summit of the Americas uh, in the U.S. first time. And it's already becoming controversial because uh, uh, the, the uh, countries that would be viewed as uh, more left than centrist, well, certainly Cuba, Nicaragua, uh, Venezuela, uh, they have been disinvited. They're not invited. And so as a result of that, Mexico's president, uh, Obrador, said he's not coming. He's boycotting it. Uh, so there's this push on their part to say enough of this control, talk about control over Latin America, Everyone should be invited. We should all be talking together about the future of Latin America. So it, it started as a controversy already, and it started as a controversy for the Biden administration, uh, which was sort of uh, highlighting the summits, promising more economic development, more work on uh, immigration and uh, COVID, of course, so, uh, and climate that, you know, there was going to be an effort to present a, a, a nice uh, neoliberal uh, solution to the problems in Latin America. A lot of Latin Americans see right through it. You know, they're not, they're not dumb. And, and, and again, one thing that struck Jerry and me, as I was saying, we were there in the age of the dictators, uh, was how, how thankful we were that we did not have to worry as American citizens at home about being hunted down and assassinated because there were just so many people in Latin America that were resisting uh, this uh, intrusion, uh, whether it was indigenous or it could be, you know, professors. Um, there was a wonderful movement of um, universities that tried to stop the, uh, this, this development, so to speak, invasion of the Amazon. And, and they were successful up to a point, but it just seems like the resistance can only go so far. And then governments are over, overthrown and uh, elections are, are manipulated. And so it, it, it's right now there's, 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 there was a period in when, when more progressive uh, forces uh, were, were able to survive uh, and, and still there are efforts to stymie them. And part, David Rockefeller had, had formed an organization called the Council for Americas. And we read into their reports and saw that they were trying to prevent this happening. The one thing they do not want is nationalization of industries. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's happened a few times, Mexico with Pemex. And then yeah. in Brasilia, it was, uh, what was the name of the, uh, oil company, Petrobras. Petrobras so yeah. Right. So there's always been these conflicts between nationalization of oil and somebody from the outside running it. It's really incredible. Same with Venezuela. Yeah, actually. Exactly. And now, and now, but uh, Biden, Biden's people are going hat in hand to Venezuela. You know, they shunned Venezuela. They sanctioned it. And, and I kid you not, they're Rockefeller forces, even though the two brothers are dead, they're, they're very active 
on doing that. That's what we learned. They wanted to prevent this from happening. So, uh, but here's Biden going hat in hand to Venezuela because it's a major oil producer, and you know he's trying he's trying to lower the price of of gas. So he's going everywhere he can uh, to get them to pump out more oil, uh, hoping that 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 this will help. But uh, in the short term, I don't think it will. And I'm not I'm not sure Venezuela has cooperated. Uh, I don't think it has. He's also going to be going to Saudi Arabia soon for the same reason. I think he already had. I think he, he may be flying personally, but I think somebody from the administration already asked the Saudi Arabians for help. And they, oh, they no, didn't. I think I think Biden's going. OK, well, the last yeah. I saw, I mean, th- there's been the groundwork. Right. But the right. problem there is, of course, that Mohammed bin Salman, the the acting the crown prince of of Saudi Arabia was responsible for killing uh, Khashoggi, uh, a um, Saudi national who who became a reporter for uh, Washington Post. And for the longest time, uh, Saudi Arabia was treated as a pariah. And that's what Biden wanted to do. But now he's got this war in Ukraine and all these problems, you know, inflation and and the price of gas and so on. So he's going hat in hand to Saudi Arabia. That's what I understand, unless it's changed. No, I I believe it. I mean, uh, yeah, and there's a lot. I mean, there's Rockefeller. He really had this kind of uh, kind of following in his grandfather's footstep of I'm going to just try to control everything, anything that I can get my hands on. It's really my intent, my, my goal. Right. And, and fairly young, he was in the government of Roosevelt for a little bit too. Right. And then came no, back. No, then, that, so. That's how, that's how he got his, his entree into Latin America by being the coordinator of inter-American affairs, which he built up a very sophisticated team uh, in, in the different fields, you know, economics, health, um banking david rockefeller was hugely relevant in that and um and, and military and and so he was he was able to uh bring some top military and government people under his wing and uh this is an interesting story uh when when lula who wanted to be uh president of brazil this was what a couple of decades ago was in New York, um, uh, he he had to go down to Wall Street to get checked out by Wall Street as to whether they would support him. And uh, he turned out to be more radical than they wanted. Um, he's going to come back. Uh, there, there's a, his election is coming up soon. Um, they, they tried to uh, erase him basically uh, through charges of corruption. Uh, but he's he's back, and he has a lot of popular support. I see I see a a, a comment by uh, a person a listener saying this is interesting. You don't hear about this much. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, why not? I mean, let's let's consider why why you aren't hearing about it. I mean, oil the the subject of oil I learned is heavily censored. First of all. Wow. And uh, the reason is it's, it's the main fuel of the military. So that's a reason you don't hear about it. Um, but also you don't hear about the boys on top, so which some people have dared to call the ruling class. And the Rockefellers are at the top, top of the heap, I would say. They're the, they are the neoliberal forces that through a whole century of trial and error have learned to rule. You know, as the top, most wealthiest and powerful oil family during the 20th century, they learned through trial and error. And one of the things they learned is that it's better to control through indirect rule, it's called, instead of the old colonial direct rule that that the uh, Europeans had used, um, you know, outright military control. Their way of control is more subtle. Uh, nowadays, and it's mostly through economics. You know, if you can starve uh, a country through economics, but not invade militarily, then you're you're doing you're doing well. Um, but you know, sometimes it backfires. And uh, anyway, you know, the the disastrous wars in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq are two examples of how 
it, it ultimately uh, backfires. The people become savvy and, and they don't appreciate our presence, quite frankly. And I wrote about that in my, my book, Follow the Pipelines, but it's certainly true of Latin America. Right. And it is interesting. There's a comment here. Somebody says, they talk about Virginia. We should eat them. Actually, the Virginia Indians saved the English colonists. Well, both Townsend and Nelson Rockefeller owe their lives to indigenous people who saved them from, uh, I think, River. Townsend was almost washed away in a river. And then Nelson he was on a boating trip up uh, either the Amazon or somewhere in, in Venezuela. And he got saved, right? Isn't the, the Yeah, yeah, no. that's the irony. That's the irony yeah, for yeah. sure, William. Yeah. I, I appreciate you reading the book. You know, there are some radio hosts that just read the, you know, the outlines and so on. But it's very clear to me that uh, you are serious. You are a serious person. I didn't know that you self-published all your books and for the yeah. reasons you did. It takes uh, a lot of work, though. It does take work. I, I mean, I actually have had fights with Amazon about publishing. They took down one of my books. I had to fight to get it back. But at least I had my control over it, you know, so. Yeah, well, power, power to you. Thank you. And the CIA, like the acronym for Nelson's um, CIAA is so close to CIA. Yeah. It's a little bit unnerving. Yeah, that's true. You know, he used to be in charge for Eisenhower in 54. He, he was appointed to head up the Cold War, and he was actually in charge of a Cold War strategy and propaganda. So he learned... The Hugh, he was it Hugh, H-E-W? Yeah, yeah, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, he worked through H-E-W, Health Education and Welfare, um, Mind Control Experiments, MK Ultra. Have you heard of that? I bet Absolutely. you have. I've done a number yeah. of shows on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was heavily involved in that. And uh, and again, you, know, you can guess why. It's, it, it is a matter of control. Um, propaganda. Uh, one of the, one of the things we saw during during World War II is that we we have a chart of it in our book. Uh, maybe I can find it for you so you can put it okay. up. Cool. But um, it it shows all the different newspaper outlets that uh, Rockefeller was able to get control of uh, during the war. Let me see. Well, I, I guess I can't find it right now. It's very. But he was he was involved in all these mind control things from a very inception. I think that 1943 he was in, involved in something. So they knew at least these times. And he's he's around when he's part of um, Eisenhower's secret team. It's he's at the boss of Dulles. Who are the guys? Dulles, if I can. Remember. Oh yeah, the, yeah, the, the special Dulles, group. Hoover Jr. and Keys, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, there was a special group that was set up after the war. It was actually put in the State Department, but what what they did is they developed uh, covert action as a way to get their way, other than outright military invasion. This was another part of their sophisticated learning through trial and error. Let's use covert action, uh, which doesn't have to get oversight by Congress and, and can do all, all sorts of uh, naughty things in the world right. and, and, also, not, and not be detected. You know? Right, and also prevent the president from being uh, involved in anything, right? So it shields the yeah. president. Uh, yeah. Right, we, Congress doesn't we, know. We, one of the we recently uh, got involved in um, further exploring how uh, Nazis had uh, escaped. Well, everyone knows that um, from Germany after the war, but some of their top people were integrated, and and this isn't just in the missile program; it's in covert action. And uh, they they were they were flown over to the U.S. and um, next thing you know they're they're revealing all sorts of intelligence to the Americans and the Americans take it up, and and the people who are behind this at this period are really elites you know like Nelson Rockefeller and Dulles and there 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 are others and they all come together to to figure out you know how how they're going to get theirs. Uh, without being so easily detected or controlled or regulated. Right. I think you mentioned Operation Bloodstone as one. People have heard of Paperclip, but they yeah, also had Bloodstone too. Which yeah, yeah, Paperclip is the one that's most known. But but we uh, 
there was a gentleman named Carl Oglesby who, who had written this wonderful book called The Yankee and Cowboy War that came out in the, I think it was in the 70s. Well, he passed away, but all of his documents are at the University of Massachusetts. And he had developed a theory that the influence of Nazis on U.S. Uh, intelligence was profound. And he was applying it to... Uh, um, he was thinking that it influenced the CIA, for instance, which which it did. But um, and of course, what followed were, were some awful wars like the Vietnam War. And so um, we, we investigated. But what, what we told his heirs was that uh, it, it wasn't so much the, the Pentagon or the CIA as it was very wealthy men who right after the war got involved in covert action. Anyway, uh, his book has come out. Uh, I know I'm forgetting the title, but if you look under Oglesby, O-G-L-E-S-B-Y, you'll see this whole exploration of the role of Nazis in the United States. And uh, it, I, it still has not been fully probed. Far more escaped into, into the United States than has previously been uh, acknowledged. And I think you mentioned one story in, I think, chapter 18, this guy, Sheffield Edwards, who I think worked with Burl, uh, was interviewing some Nazi paperclip guy who ended up killing himself because he had some secrets about his past. I, th I think you include that. I don't know if you remember that. But it is interesting. A lot of these guys around Nelson went on to very famous kind of things. So Burl goes on to be on the board of the Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology, and then King becomes the head of the CIA, like I think you mentioned that earlier, about yeah. the whole Western Hemisphere. So exactly. he, very he influential. Was, he was one of the guys that targeted Castro uh, for, for assassination, for instance. Yeah, a lot of dirty tricks in those days. Yeah, yeah. and you mentioned uh, E. Howard Hunt is in there, yeah. too. So you've got John J. McCloy. And yeah, it's interesting because all these important people were on the Rockefeller Foundation and all of a sudden or associated with the Rockefellers end up on the Warren Commission, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, well, uh, also, I, there's another there's another map in our book. In fact, I think I can give you uh, the page number. It's one of my favorites. This would be on page 338. And it is uh, High Kennedy Appointments from the Rockefeller Network. And what it shows is on the left hand, a column that shows Rockefeller foreign policy networks. Uh, and on the right hand is the Kennedy administration. Oh, wait a minute. What you have there? That one that you oh, just showed? Yeah, I that can show was, anything. Oh, that one you just pre. Oh, this, well. Oh, no, that's. This, one. Oh, this no. is the well, 10 well, and 4. Yeah, yeah, that shows. I thought it was the media. My problem one. is, is that my Kindle doesn't show the pages of the book. So oh, yeah. tell me the chapter. Oh, is what oh. you want me to show that'll work. Okay, chapter, chapter, I'll show it to you. Because I can Let's go to the that. chapter. Uh, 22, in, okay. chapter 22, uh, The Brotherhood. Anyway, this is all about the Kennedy administration. And um, the, the, the map, yeah, as I show, shows all these Rockefeller people that are part of the foreign, foreign policy establishment. And, and then you track it into the Kennedy administration and um, you see all sorts, Defense Department, Treasury, President, State Department, National Security staff. They're all Rockefeller people. So, um, and my story on that, which I think your listeners will find interesting, I once showed it to one of the people that worked on Oliver Stone's film on JFK. He was one of the researchers. So I was, I was showing him this chapter this this map and his face blanched and then he said to me oh my god these are people that are involved in the cover-up of wow. the jfk assassination and i i will say that we have a whole chapter on kennedy and on that and um and that was what camelot versus yeah exactly yeah uh uh kennedy was terrified of the rockefellers uh for good reason and um, so uh, we show how uh, one of the things that he did is he blunted uh, Nelson's shining dream 
in the 60s. He wanted to develop a whole part of the Amazon, and uh, uh, Kennedy tried to prevent that from being as extensive as it was, uh, developing a whole part of the interior. The other thing that Kennedy did is he was uh, in favor of giving government-to-government loans to Latin America, circumventing the big banks, including David's uh, Chase Manhattan Bank. And so they didn't like that one little bit. And when we got into uh, we got into the Rockefeller archives, and um, we got into um, papers, Rockefeller papers, leading up to uh, that her- terrible time, November 1963, when he was assassinated. And all of a sudden, there's no documents, no documents, and this wow. goes on. Yeah, a lot of stuff has been removed or sanitized. And and uh, I don't go around broadcasting it, but some people feel that our analysis of the Kennedy assassination is one of the best going. Oh, I mean, because because Kennedy was getting really deeply involved in Latin America. They did not like that. Yeah, and he was doing all these end arounds between old power structures. He was using friends to do communications. So Kennedy was frustrating these old entrenched people. Yeah, that's right. All of them were around Nelson Rockefeller and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's really incredible. Yep. Nelson Rockefeller's life was. Uh, I mean, people always talk about David because he seems to be more. Obviously, Nelson passed away, but David Les, Les I think was alive till a hundred. But they always rent. You mentioned his memoirs in the intro to the book. So David seems to be the more predominant one, but Nelson was definitely a, a power broker. There's no question. Absolutely. He, I, he, he worked in subterranean ways. Also, um, oh, look at that. Hmm. So I'll have to take a note on that. William Godet. Well, anyway, uh, here's another interesting story, and, and that is the World Trade Center. Um, Jerry and I were invited to talk about our book uh, in a Vermont bookstore, and the date happened to follow 9-11. It was like wow. September 14th. And we asked the, the, the organizers of the event, should we do this? I mean, after this horrible thing. And what we were told, oh, absolutely, come in. Why? People wanted to know. Of course they wanted to know. And those twin towers were named by savvy New Yorkers as David and Nelson because they were the creation of David through his bank and uh, the um, uh, Lower Manhattan Development Association and Nelson as governor of New York. They created them. They were like, you know, testaments to their power. And when they came down, uh, some people would, would comment that the World Trade Center was a symbol of American power seldom said it was a symbol of Rockefeller power. Right. Good point. They almost yeah. never mentioned that. No. They never mentioned that. And those no, are very unusual buildings. They stand out against the New York skyline. Like they, they weren't intended to look like a part of that skyline. They, they were no. really there. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes the very powerful can't help themselves. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, they, yes. and they have to reveal themselves. You know, it, it reminds I used to be in Italy. Uh, I studied in Italy for a while. And uh, there, San Gimignano is this wonderful little town that has yeah, all these towers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was a way to, sh- to show uh, the power of the different families. I mean, really. Right. Uh, anyway, San yeah. Gimignano. This, yeah. yeah. I'll, I just want to show this one picture. This is like one of my favorite conspiracy pictures. It's David Rockefeller uh, talking about New York banking and his watch is at 9-11. Oh, <laughs> my God. That's so yeah. 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 I, that's I, kind of a famous people bandy that around, but you can see him. There's Lower Manhattan Association. Yeah, there yeah. he is, and you can just see these how strange these buildings are. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, they, they just couldn't help themselves. They, <laughs> they anyway. I, I I won't I won't give a sexual connotation. You can guess. <laughs> well, yeah, but here's the other thing: is here's your book you mentioned earlier, Carl Oglesby. The astonishing link between the JFK assassination and the deposing of Nixon, right? That's yeah, the book well, you mentioned. No, that is not the book I oh, mentioned. Okay. Oh, sorry. No, no, Which one was it? Another one. I, I wish no. I had it. I thought I you said it was the Yankee and Cowboy. It's another well, one Yan- by Ogilvy. No, he, he came out with a new one. 
and oh. and it was about about the Nazis. Now is it up there? Oh, I don't think no. it is. I think it came. Personal. Uh, no, I'll have to look for it. Oh, here it is. Where? Is it clandestine American selective writings on conspiracies from the Nazi surrender to Dallas Watergate and beyond? I don't know. I don't know. Well, that might I'll be it. it. Wait, clandestine America. That's it. Clandestine that's it. Okay, America. Cool. Yeah. So it's worth reading. Definitely. I, I we we were just trying to tell them it wasn't necessarily the governments. It was wealthy people uh, that were doing this. But that's okay. I'm glad he brought it out. There's a lot to be there. And quite frankly, uh, it gets me wondering about all these Nazi families that settled in America, well, hmm, who were some of their offspring and are they uh -huh. active now? You know, that would be a great project for people. They're around. I can tell you a story that Grant, uh, Borman's granddaughter is in the U.S. Borman's was the kind oh, of yeah, Bor Hitler's Oh, family. yeah, yeah, right. They, they all, a lot of them had to leave Germany. So they yes. had to leave because the Germans were pissed. So they didn't have a choice. So they came to the German places in Texas, actually. And there's some in Brazil, Argentina. There's small places in um, Chile. So there's yes, some of indeed. their offspring. Around. You wouldn't, you'd be surprised. They, they, were, they were responsible uh, for uh, killing Che Guevara in Bolivia, who was uh, a revolutionary. Um, che Guevara is... is um, admired throughout Latin America. You still see his picture. He was considered a martyr. Um, he wanted to stop this horrendous invasions of Latin America, and um, he was killed for it by the CIA. We talk about that in the book. Right. Wasn't um, that Chi Chi Rodriguez or somebody? I yeah, yeah, he, he was the agent, yes. Yeah, but the agent. There, there was a collaboration with a Nazi. Oh, okay, uh, I didn't know. And, and um, so I can't remember his name. Um, but, anyway. but I think uh, Rodriguez still wears or wore Che Guevara's watch. So he took his watch. <laughs> Have you heard uh, that? Yeah. 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 So um, you're so much. I mean, we we just kind of talked, bounced around a lot of different stuff. But there's a whole, your book is really just chock full of facts and things like that. They're well, suppressed, I, overlooked, ignored. Yeah. I, oh, I, I so appreciate your you're spending the time on this. Because, oh, Jerry just arrived. Mm -mm, too late. Uh, and uh, because a huge amount of effort went into it. As I told you, it took us 18 years. And it, it pains us deeply uh, that more people don't know about the book. So you can and listen. All pre-internet, too. Like, you didn't have the internet. You had to go out and look at core documents. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Like so that's yeah, the cool. internet makes, makes research a lot easier. Yes, um, way easier. Yeah, Super but easy. but since you've only gotten halfway through, maybe maybe we can do another segment. I'd uh, love to. Yeah, love that to. would be great. Let's set it up for next month, and we'll cover everything post kind of uh, Eisenhower era. Yeah, we could even Kennedy. Yeah, we, yeah Kennedy and uh, oh, Ronald Reagan. He was big. Oh, he, he was very much responsible for uh, um, horrendous deaths, uh, genocide in Guatemala. For instance, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's so much in and Nelson. One of the interesting, like, parapolitical facts about Nelson Rockefeller that I always remember is Squeaky Fromm taking a shot at him or taking a shot at Gerald Ford and yeah. missing him by like an inch, and that would have been Nelson Rockefeller to be president. Uh, is well, that the true story? <laughs> the, oh my God! I don't know. Yeah. That is a true story, right? I, I had not heard that. Okay, I, I heard. heard Squeaky Fromm shot at Gerald Ford when Nelson Rockefeller was vice president. Well, Nelson Nelson definitely wanted to be president. He really wanted it. And that explains a lot about what was going on um, during that time. Um, yeah, we talk about that too. So we so we can get into that. It, it yeah, was his great dream. It. But he was he was suspected, you know. Uh, oh, really? I didn't know that. I, I don't oh, know the full story. Well, I, no, he, he was suspected because he had so much money. So uh, there was concern that he couldn't be manipulated, which I was I would consider to be a legitimate concern. <laughs> anyway, but but so the this is another factor that um, the the Republican that was up against JFK was Nelson. Nelson, right? Yeah. So have fun reading about that. Yeah. Well, we'll cover that in part two. And where's the best place for people to get this book? 
Well, they've just got to go online. Go to Amazon. Go to Amazon. You'll you'll read all the great reviews and 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 learn more from all the reviews and people's comments. And you have an audio book too, right? So people can I, just yes, there is an audio book. And uh, as I say, if if you look for the hardcover, some of them are collector's items and they're very expensive. But sometimes you can find them in uh, like a books or some some used bookstores. You you can find them. And uh, yeah, so. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to part two. So the guests listening now look forward to sometime in July. We'll come back and revisit the second part of the book. Uh, we great. have Charlotte Dennett and Jared Colby shows up at the last minute. Yeah, so maybe right, he'll be Jared, you two. missed it. <laughs> and the book does have great reviews. I think you have all five-star reviews. Yeah, on Amazon. yeah thank you. It, title, it of the book, title of the book again is I Will Be Done, The Conquest of the Amazon, Nelson Rockefeller and evangelism in the age of oil. And thanks so much, Charlotte Dennett. Oh, thank you, William. I really enjoyed it. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Likewise. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there.